0: We see, and that's before we you know, even do anything, we just wake up and see a beautiful sunrise we have breakfast and taste amazing food. We see God is a God who gives good gifts. And then we, as we dig into his word, we see that he promises to provide all that we need. We see the father gave up of his son, the son gave up of his life so that we could have life through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And then we see the Holy Spirit empowers and equips us to live by giving us gifts of God. So our God is a God who gives, and and, and because we've received so richly, we can then give to others. And so this whole series, you want to keep that in the back of your mind, keep coming back to that truth, to that concept. How has God given to me? How have I received? How richly has God truly blessed me? I think sometimes when we get caught in this keeping up with the Joneses mindset, we're always looking at our neighbor, hey, well, God hasn't given me that new car yet. When we need to kind of expand and broaden our horizon, what has God given us? He's given us life, he's given us breath, he's given us strength uh, to go and live for him. So we have received well. And today we're going to look at be- what it means to be generous with our finances. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to someone next to you real quick and share what do you think the Bible teaches about how to handle our finances. And we give about 30 seconds each, so turn to someone real quick. What do you believe, coming in here this morning, that the Bible teaches about how to handle our finances? Go. I turn someone, someone else real quick, or the other side, let the person talk. I'm just going to go ahead and apologize to all the introverts in the room. I know you hate this kind of stuff, so I, I thank you for, for bearing with me in this. Because there's a the point I want to make here. I know I lied. That wasn't fully 30 seconds each, but tough. Um, so um, I'm fired up this morning. Um, it's not easy to talk about money. It's not easy to talk about our own personal finances. I know I just had to turn to potentially a stranger or maybe someone you just met this morning or maybe you came with your spouse and hopefully that was an easier conversation to have. Uh, but it, even with people that we love and hold close, money's not an easy conversation for us as a society, a, a, as a culture. Um, and, and so that's why we're talking about here this morning. Uh, that's one reason. Another reason we're talking about here this morning is because as we look through the Word of God, we see that um, there's all kinds of places where, where, where we see God's word talking about money, but I'll make this promise to you here this morning: no one is going to shake you down. Promise it. I absolutely promise it. No one's going to shake you down. Uh, we will take an offering later in the service. That's something we do every week. It's not going to be one of those things where like we'll hold it in front of you and wait mm-hmm. a little more. No, I saw thought you. No, that doesn't happen. It's just it's just a convenient way to take a morning offering. And uh, again, if you're a guest or visitor here this morning, we're, we're glad you're here. We'd ask you to fill out that communication card to let us know you're here and how we can be praying for you. And, and let that be your gift in the offering, so we can do life together and take that next step. There's no expectation upon you uh, that that you would give. You're welcome to, but again, there's no expectation in that. And so that's a promise I make throughout this series. But we're not going to shake you down. Really, what we're going to do is. Um, you are welcome to leave with all the money you have on you right now, you're, that, that you are, and, and not feel any guilt about it either. Um, honestly, if, if you came in here this morning in a place of significant need, my heart and my hope is that we can send you out here with more than you came in with. And if you're in that place, come see me afterwards. We have a benevolence fund for that kind of stuff, to walk with each other. And so if you're in that place, man, let us help you in that and walk with you as you get back on your feet. When it comes to money, what we're going to do is we're going to teach God's word. I'm going to share God's word from a bunch of different places here this morning regarding finances. Um, If you're not a follower of Jesus or just a visitor here, um, I would encourage you to still be willing to kind of just open up your ears and, and soften your heart to hear, what does God have for me? Maybe there's a next step I can take, even though I'm still checking out some of this stuff, maybe there's a next step I could take and just see what God does in that step. And for those who are followers of Jesus and, and, and family here at Meadowland, uh, let us spur one another on. Let us encourage each other in these harder conversations. Let's be a church that will find someone that we can trust and discuss things of God and discuss things of our budgets and our, our finances. Maybe that person you trust, maybe it's your spouse or a close friend. But let's be willing to engage each other on these things. Because see, as we look through the Bible, we see very, uh, we see many various ways in which people gave their finances. And maybe some of these things came up as you turned to your neighbor and mentioned, "Here's why I think the Bible teaches about it." We see things at the very beginning. You have Cain and Abel, the first uh, two brothers of uh, the sons of Adam and Eve, and their brothers, and they bring an offering to God. Basically, some of the you know, here's some of what I have, and they bring it to God. And so we see that very first um, act of this giving of first fruits. Abel offered specifically. It says in Genesis four that he offered the first fruits of the flock uh, to the Lord. We see offerings and sacrifices where people would give to the Lord uh, a sacrifice where, where something, someone's, uh, an animal's blood would be shed for the p- payment of sin. There was sacrifices where they would, you know, have foods that be burned up and be an, a, an offering of thanksgiving. God, I'm so thankful for what you've given me. They offer the sacrifice in the temple. We see that in the Old Testament. We see this Old Testament principle of a tithe. We're going to talk about that here in a, in a moment. We see the early church would sell their property, would sell their possessions, and they would give to all who were in need. Acts chapter 2 talks about that. Uh, we also see how the early church uh, gave to other churches. So the local churches gave to one another. They gave to missionaries. They gave to those who would go plant more churches and see church, uh, churches spread in new communities. We also see Jesus calling us to give to Caesar. What is Caesar? So give him your taxes. The taxes There's all kinds of different places in here where we see throughout Scripture uh, a call to give, and I'm guessing that if you have any background, any experience in the church, you might be familiar with, with the concept of a tithe. I think a lot of churches say, "Well, here's what we teach. This is what God teaches us about how to handle our finances." It is the concept of a tithe, and so let me unpack that a little bit because uh, I think you might be surprised to see really what, what God's word says on this. And this concept of tithing began as, as a, um, a tradition in, in the Near East or the Far East. I'm sorry, where a king would come in and conquer a land. And he would take a tithe of the produce of the land. When they won, he basically, the king would take a tenth. It was almost like a a tax of sorts or or a a winner's fee. And he would do that. And we see this in in Scripture even where Abraham, who God has told, I'm going to make a nation out of you and your offspring and I'm going to... Bring you to a land that will be your own land and you'll have your own people. And so there's a time where his nephew has been captured by a king. And so basically, Abraham brings all the men who are with him up to arms and they go and they battle this king and they win. And so, out of all the stuff that Abraham gets, he finds the priest Melchizedek, who's an agent of God of sorts, and gives him a tithe, gives him 10% of all that he had gotten. Ultimately, this concept of a tithe is a kingdom principle. It's a, it's a principle of saying, okay, well, you're the king, and, and so here is your, your 10%. And so in Abraham's situation, you could say, well, wasn't Abraham the one who led the charge? Yeah, but he acknowledged that it was God who was ultimately his king. And that's why he then gave that tithe to the priest Melchizedek, in, in essence, giving that tithe to God. We see this act continue on through the people of God, the Israelites tithe, and their tithe would go to different things, would support the Levites. The Levites were uh, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were the priestly tribe, and so they would take care of the temple, they would take care of all all the different uh, priestly uh, services, and they basically didn't have any land. All the other tribes, as they went in and got promised land, they were given areas of land to settle in, but the priests were told, no, you don't get land, your job, your home basically is, is in the temple. And so that they could have a, a living, they could survive, they would take some of the tithe, and that's what they would live off of. You see, the temple was built and supported through the tithe. You see, the poor are cared for through a tithe. Some even teach in, in Jewish history that these are all three different tithes. And so they have a tithe for the Levites, a tithe for uh, the temple, and then a tithe once every three years for the poor. And so they would say, really, it's more like 23.33% um, I'd say really all the same thing they're talking about there, just going to different places. But it became part of the written law. It was the the, the Jewish people as they were, uh, the people of God as they were moving forward, it was this, this act of acknowledging that God is king. The Israelites were acknowledging, okay, God is our king, so we give a tithe. We see even that when the people began to fall away from God and they weren't pursuing God, that that affected the tithe as well. And again, it would make sense, right? Because if a tithe is an acknowledgment of of who the king is, of who is in charge, well, if God's people are falling away from God, you would assume that that would go hand in hand. And it makes sense. Malachi 3, 7 through 9 tells, tells us this. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So basically God has a message to his people saying, you've wandered away, return to me. They say, well, okay, what does that look like? How do I return to you, God? Verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation. And so basically saying, hey, you, you've walked away from me. Come back to me. Well, what does that look like? And he starts talking about the tithe. You've robbed me. You haven't been bringing the tithe to the temple. One sign of, of walking with God is that we would be a people who give. It's what a principle we're starting to see unfold here. Malachi 3.10, let's continue there. God says this bring the the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's a pretty powerful passage when you really stop and think about it. Here is the God Almighty saying, Try me. See what happens. You're not bringing the whole tithe in. You're not acknowledging me as king. Try it. Bring the whole tithe in and see if I will not open up the very floodgates of heaven and pour out all this blessing upon you. And that's his message for his people. Well, after the prophet Malachi comes, there's 400 years of silence. This was kind of the last book of the Old Testament because then there there was was kind of silence. And really the next person on the scene that we we hear from in, in history is John the Baptist preparing the way for the Messiah. John the Baptist had a ministry of calling people to repent, and ultimately he then would point them to the Messiah. And When he met Jesus, he said, hey, this is the guy. He's the one. And all of a sudden, people are like, hey, this Jesus guy is getting real popular, and you're kind of, you know, yesterday's news. And he's like, great, let me decrease, so God must increase. Jesus is the one I came talking about, so please go and follow him. And So we have 400 years of silence up until John the Baptist comes. And over that time... Uh, the people of God, the the Jews, would have been continuing in this practice of of tithing. See, some scholars would say, well, the New Testament doesn't need to talk about tithing because the Jews would have been so familiar with it that it just would have been assumed that we continue to give instead of the temple, now it goes to the church because of the work of Jesus. And and that's just not, it's not a fair statement. Because while maybe the Jews would have felt that way or understood that, that's not true of the Gentiles. The Gentiles are basically anyone who wasn't a Jew. They wouldn't have the same concept of a tithe or at least the same practice in their history. And so it wouldn't have been this natural thing of, okay, well, I'm a follower of Christ now. I'm a part of the church. Well, I must give 10%. That wouldn't have been their story. So it stands out that we don't see in the New Testament a command to tithe. And if you've never heard that, if you've never, if you've never been told that before, um, we are, are going to be honest with you here at Meadowland Church. I'm not saying that anyone else isn't. Um, but God's word in the New Testament, so that's, that's basically from the life of Jesus forward, does not command us to give a 10% tithe of our finances to the church or to God or to, to a tithe, anywhere. We we don't see that specific phrase. And why is this significant? Well, it's significant because Jesus changes Everything we've talked about this before here, in Meadowland. Jesus changes everything. First of all, He's the fulfillment of the written law. That there's a reason that we can now eat shellfish, wear mixed fabrics, and even get tattoos as long as they're not for a, a false god is because th- those were the law that, that Jesus fulfilled. That in, in a similar vein, you could see this this uh, call in, in Malachi three ten to bring the full tithe into the storehouse has been fulfilled in Jesus. So do we still need to give 10% to the temple or or, or to the church? Technically, technically, I'm going to say no, because we don't see that a verse that says, hey, here's a command that God's given us, but stick with me on this. Because what we do see Jesus doing is in in the fulfillment of the law, he also takes the focus of the law from an act of obedience to an act of the heart. He shifts the focus from an act of obedience to the act of the heart. Let me tell you what we're talking about. In his teachings, all of a sudden, he talks about murder. He says, well, you've heard it said, don't murder your brother. But I'm going to tell you that if you have hate towards your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. Then he says, hey, we talk about adultery. You've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. But I'm going to tell you, if if you've lusted after someone in your heart, then you've already committed adultery in, in your heart. In essence, he's taking things the next step further. He's saying, yes, God wants obedience, but ultimately he's about your heart. It's your heart that he wants. And that's why we go to this heart of generosity. What does it look like to be a generous people? He said, Well, hang on a second. Don't, Don't be done with Malachi 3.10 just yet, Steve. There was an amazing blessing on the end of there, wasn't it? If I will not open the, the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 6, as always, it will be on the screen as well. This will be a powerful one that to bookmark the dog ear and just come back to because uh, it really shares about what kind of blessing we've already received from God and Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, for those who profess faith in Christ, there is nothing that we need spiritually beyond Jesus. There is nothing that we need. It's not a, you know, oh, yeah, but I've, I, I've sinned today, and, and, and so what do I, you know, is there a penance I have to go fulfill? Repent and, and, and trust in the blood of Jesus. Well, no, but this, this you know, I, I've really screwed up here. There's got to be something else I must do to earn my way to God. Jesus is Sufficient. And we can go to other scriptures too talk about how God will provide for the needs of his children, for the needs of his people. And again, there's a difference between needs and wants, but we can see that God, if we believe in that and trust in what he says, He's, in one sense, the floodgates of heaven have already been poured out. God's blessing has already been poured out upon his people in Jesus. What, what a beautiful thing. So again, we see that Jesus changes everything. He, in essence, is the fulfillment of the law. And so when we say no, that you know, there's no command to tithe um, in the New Testament, we also see that, that Jesus is about taking it from obedience to, okay, where is your heart at? Let's, let's deal with matters of the heart. So if we're not required to give a tenth, uh, or to tithe, then how much do we give? How much are we supposed to give? Maybe that's a question that's going through your mind. And, and if it is, that's okay, but, but I want to steer you in a different direction because ultimately that's the wrong question to ask. And partly because it has this connotation, it kind of has this, this question underneath it where it's in essence saying, what, what's the least amount that I have to give to be good with God? Right? I mean, it's, if you felt that way before, that's okay. I can relate to that. It is time where, you know, you want to honor God with your finances, but, but times are really tough and, and you're counting every, every dollar, every penny, and you're like, God, really, what's the bare minimum I need to do here, God? And so it's a fair question, but I want to steer in a new direction because it's really the wrong question to be asking. Let me put it in a different context. For those of you who are married, imagine this uh, towards your spouse. If, if you're not, imagine this towards a, a beloved friend or a family member. Um, what if you went up to them and said, hey, honey, hey, brother, sister, whatever, how, how much do I need to love you to stay in this same relationship? How, how many gifts do I need to get you, honey? for birthdays and, and Christmas and all that, to stay married? How, what, what's the bare minimum on time that I need to give you? you know, what, what, what are the, what's the least amount of words I need to speak? Because I'm a guy and just words don't come naturally for me. And um, I got two little girls in the house who I you know, say girls use more words than guys. And they try to get theirs all out in the first hour of the day. You know, and so it's like, what, what's the least amount of words I need to, to use in our ma- We wouldn't ask those questions because it, it reveals... Uh, an issue with the heart, right? It, it, as we think about our relationships with those who we love and those who we want to uh, engage with, man, it's a joy. Hey, how much more can I, what else can I give you? Hey, what else can I tell you about what's going on in my heart? How much more time can we spend together? Let's try to find a, a way to carve out some extra time. And so it's really the wrong question. The question that we should be moving to is, is a place of, what's God's heart for us regarding our finances? God, what do you desire for us? What is your heart for us? And honestly, it's not like God needs our money anyway. Really, the the money itself is secondary to the issues of the heart. We see in Acts 17 that, that, that all things are God's. He created all, sustains all. And so really, honestly, what can we add to God's bank account if he already has everything? And so we need to shift our focus off of the tangible funds and move it to a place of the matters of the heart Imagine if you're, you're uh, if you have kids, or when you were a kid, you probably did this, where one of your parents took you out to go buy a present for the other parent, whether for Christmas or for their birthday. And especially in this day and age, with everything being electronic, you can even see. Oh, you know, my wife just took the girls to Target and bought, the, you know, a forty dollars something for Dad. Okay, I can you can kind of piece it together, and so you get they come home and you see them wrapping. So you know what's coming in that package. Heck, you, you paid for it, you know, in essence, yeah, if you really view that, you and your wife's finances are your own, which you should. Um, and, and so your kids aren't giving you anything from a monetary standpoint, right? There's nothing they're adding to your bank account by giving you this gift. But I think we would all agree that there's such a rich blessing in receiving that gift from them, right? And so that's really what God's after, is that engagement with us. He doesn't need our finances. It's all his anyway. But he wants us to engage in with him. So let's ask this question of what is God's heart for us regarding our finances? I'm going to give you three adjectives to answer this question. It's by no means an exhaustive list. You could probably think of three better ones than I could. And let's have that conversation afterwards. Let's keep talking about this kind of stuff. You know, in our homes, and in our, in our, um, where we go next, and out in the, as we join together in fellowship. I'm just going to give you three adjectives today about how God desires for us to give first one is that God would desire that we would give generously. God desires that we would give generously. If our giving is a response to, the, to a God who's given so great to us, if it's a response to how God has given, we should model after that. No, right? And, and, and God has given generously. He's held nothing back. He's given us his son. He adopts us as sons and daughters. In response to what God did in their lives, I want to tell you about a church we hear, about churches of Macedonia. We read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4. through 4. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Those are phrases you don't always hear in the same sentence, right? Abundance, you know, oh, abundance of funds? No, abundance of joy... And extreme, oh, extreme uh, uh, resources? No, extreme poverty. So here, here's churches that, that, that have great joy in the Lord. God is just changing their lives. But they also are struggling through extreme poverty. But this joy has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They gave above and beyond because they want to be about what God was about. They want to be engaged in caring for other churches. Church, I believe we can be the kind of church that has a, a significant impact, even in a financial standpoint, the ways we can give to other churches, other church plants, other ministries, to our own community, to how we can bless our community. I, I believe there's ways that we can give far beyond our ability. Far beyond our ability. As we begin to understand what it means to give generously and, and to respond to the way that God's given to us, the church in Corinth and even us today is, is called to the same generosity and giving. So, the letter I was written by Paul to the churches in Corinth, and he's talking about the churches of Macedonia. And he gets to verse seven. And he says this: "But as you excel in everything, so says cool stuff going on in this church in Corinth in faith and speech and knowledge and all uh, uh, earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace." also referring to the generous giving that the churches of Macedonia had done. You know, it's challenging. I get it. It is challenging to give generously. I think a lot of times the challenge comes in, in a place where we believe that we don't have enough ourselves, right? We well, ah, As soon as this bonus comes in, then I'll start giving generously. Well, as soon as I get that raise, then I'll start giving generously. Hey, you know what? I'm just kind of in a job right now to pay the bills. It's not my career. You know, I'm trying to find a long-term, you know, and I get that. My salary comes once a month, and it's a lot easier to be generous at the beginning of the month than it is at the end of the month. Because at the beginning of the month, you look at your bank accounts, you see, you know, bigger numbers. Oh, okay, I can be generous, you know, because I have plenty. There's no sacrifice. And then get towards the end of the month, it's like, oh well, we miscalculated something, and this last week is going to be a stretch, or you know, I don't know, we'll put the generosity on hold till next week when I get paid again. And we convince ourselves that we don't have enough, and it's a challenge to our generosity. And yes, there does come times when we truly don't have enough, and when. Others are in that place. When we are in that place, we need to be in Christian community, caring for one another. We need to be, allow ourselves to be cared for as we work together. We see that in Acts chapter two. As I referenced that earlier. If we're in a place where we truly don't have enough, let us be the kind of church and the kind of followers of Jesus where say, hey, rely on us. We can help meet your needs. But sometimes it's not so much that we don't have, it's an unwillingness to sacrifice our own comforts, right? How easy is it to share a Reese's peanut butter cup with someone? I'm not talking about just one cup. I'm talking about you bought the ones at the aisle, not the the king size, which has 27 peanut butter cups in it. Just the the two-pack, right? So you got the two-pack, and all of a sudden you run into a friend as you just opened it, and the, the, the waft of peanut butter and chocolate goodness just kind of... The whole store is looking your direction right now because you just opened up this Reese's peanut butter cup package. How easy is it to share that? For some of us, maybe we say, no big deal, I don't like peanut butter. Uh, For others, maybe it's a challenge. But you think to yourself, there's two peanut butter cups. One for me, one for them. Not a problem. How easy is it to share that same peanut butter cup package with two people? Impossible. (laughs) It requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. When it comes to breakfast, what's the difference between the chicken and the pig? Sacrifice. Think about it. Sacrifice. And sacrifice isn't easy. And sometimes even our own comforts, we're not willing to sacrifice those. We're not willing to lay them down. We say, no, I don't have anything to give because I need to hold on to all these comforts or all these other things. Sometimes it's not even a comfort that we're sacrificing. Sometimes it's, a you know, hey, I can skip a meal today so that I can give a meal to someone else. And these aren't things, here's what we all need to go do. I'm saying, go to God and, and you and him have some conversations and see what he does in your heart. But God's people are called to give generously. Called to give generously. The further that we get from our act of receiving something, the further we get from reception, the quicker we forget that we've received. Think about that. The further we move from reception. The moment that we receive something, the further in time we get from that, the quicker we forget that we've received it. I'd even argue that the harder is to remember that who gave it in the first place. As we go as our kids continue to grow like weeds and we go through, you know, all the different clothes. I mean, we we have clothes for for, you know. My son, you know, three-year-old clothes, and he's like six months. He say, oh, I got stuff I'm getting rid of him. And it, it, all, we have all kind of converges in these bins, and then we can pass it on to others as well. But we'll be going through stuff, and I'll say, oh, where did we get this from? Or oh, this looks important. This looks special. I think we should keep this for so and so, or pass. And we go go through some of those things, and I have no idea where some of this stuff came from. My, my, my wife is amazing. Oh, that came from so and so's great aunt, who had an uncle who heard about. I mean, just crazy stories. She, she just remembers all that. But I think for the most of us, the further we get from that moment when someone said, here, I got something for you, and we receive it. The further we get from that, the quicker we forget it. The quicker we forget the person who gave it to us. My daughter, Evelyn, even last night, we were watching a movie because it was kind of a a rainy night, so we had a family movie night after trick-or-treating, and um, that my girls are sitting on this beanbag that my uh, sister got for them, uh, got for Evelyn when when she was uh, three. I think it was about three. And, And we're talking about that she got this gift, and she's like, who, who gave it? Where did I get this from? I'm like, well, turn around. Your aunt got it for you. It was sitting there right, right behind, behind you. Oh, I didn't remember that. It, 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 it had been three years. I mean, the further we get away, and so that's why it's important to, to remember. That's why communion is so important. Because through communion, we remember what Jesus gave. Our sin was a debt that we couldn't pay, but Jesus paid. The only way that we could pay it was by our lives, but Jesus laid down his life so that the debt would be paid. It's supposed to be a church who gives generously and remember that God has given generously by taking things like communion and having that be a regular part of our lives. I also think this leads us to our next adjective that we're called uh, to give regularly. Because when we give regularly, it reminds us of the one who gives to us. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So that that there will be no collecting when I come. That no collecting when I come isn't saying, okay, we don't need to give. It's saying, hey, you should have already given so that when I come, this this gift to another church is already all ready to go, bundled up, packaged. we, We can send it off to where it's supposed to go. So you should be diligent and, and, hey, the first day of the week, you know, set aside what you decide and, and have that ready to go where it's supposed to go. This is probably one of the closest passages we could see. Oh, someone might say, oh, see, that's the tithe. It doesn't say 10% anywhere in there. I think sometimes when we, when we get so caught up in this concept of a tithe, I think sometimes we shortchange God. You know, do, imagine wherever you are in your giving right now. Maybe it's something you've never done. Maybe it's something you've been doing for years. Do you think that God could work in your heart and move you to a place where you'd be giving in a different capacity? I've come across people who have just been been blessed in certain ways, but I think a lot of it has has to do with where their heart is at, where they give 50% and over of all that they have, all that comes through their possession, and they're able to give that to others, and and they still have all that they need. It's a soft heart of generosity, where they give regularly to God. and you know, So I'm not saying that that's what we all need to go do, but maybe just take that, that next step forward. We can give, set aside on the first day of every week. I'd encourage you to see Sunday as the first day of the week. This is kind of a little tangent here, but prepare for the week ahead by encouraging and loving each other. In the same way that taking communion regularly keeps our hearts focused on Jesus, giving regularly keeps our hearts focused on Jesus as well. Because the use of our funds truly reveals the condition of our heart. I know, is it getting toasty in here? It is. It's supposed to be colder today, so I apologize for that. But So wrapping up here, why does God give us uh, all that we have and then ask for some back? Well, why does he just give us the 90%? You know, if we're saying that you need a tithe, which we're not. So whatever it is that God's laying on your heart, say you feel God's saying, hey, you know what? I want you to start giving 2%. I want you to start giving, you know, whatever God's put on your heart, 10%, 20%, 100%, it's up to you and God. What, why does God even ask for us to give? Why, we, he, why does he want us to be generous? Why does he want us to give regularly? Why? Well, because God's inviting us to engage in what He's doing, to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation, to be a part of seeing lives change and disciples made. So what's the condition of our heart? Do we have a soft heart or do we have a hard heart? Because we can when we when we give regular and generously, we we can fund ministry. Churches are funded. Churches are planted. Frontline ministries, I call them, are the ones that have a focus on you know, caring for the least of these. Those are, are cared for. para organizations that support the work of the church. Missionaries that, that take the gospel throughout the world. When we give regularly and generously, we, we make Jesus known. Our generosity makes much of God's generosity. It says, I give because he gives. Just let us tie in here with what God is doing by giving generously and regularly. And the use of our funds honestly reveals not just the condition of our heart, but the worship of our heart. Matthew 6, 19-21 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, there's a book out there by John Ortberg, it says, when well, the game is over, it all goes back in the box. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. And you can think, okay, so he's talking about my resources. So yeah, at the end of the day, you know, all that stuff just gets put away. Anyway, well, really, it's, it's our lives. At the end of the day, when we die, we, we go back in the box. And, and we can't take our things with us. So we have to ask the question, what can we take us take with us? Well, the way that we've loved God and built a relationship with Him, we can take that with us into eternity. The ways that we've loved others and built relationships, we can take that with us into eternity. And so let's use our money in a way that sees ministry done, where we see lives being changed and disciples being made. Because when someone surrenders their life to Jesus, when we give generously and give regularly in a way that ministry is being done in and through us instead of in spite of us, and then someone's life is changed, that person will now be in heaven for all eternity. Now that's something worth bringing with us, right? So give generously, give regularly. Church, let's be a church that gives cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Again, there's this heart component. Here's this heart component. Please don't walk out of here saying, Steve I have to give 10%. That's not what I said. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Sometimes we give out a compulsion well, I'm, just, I'm supposed to give, right? We see this, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, I mean, they're even giving, they had this down to a T of obedience. They're giving like a tenth of their spice rack. Hey, I got some, I got some new, new spices, honey. Okay, let me, let me give you, bust out a tenth of that, break that little baggie and give that to the church. I mean, they're just trying to follow that to the letter. Luke eleven forty-two. 42, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So basically you say, it's good to give to God, it's right to give to God, but not at the cost of neglecting justice and the love of God. Charles Spurgeon, a uh, pastor and author, says, give as you love and measure your love by your gift. Give as you love, and measure your love by your gift. So think about how you love. Is your heart pursuing God? Do you love the things that God loves? Think about where you do give. Do those match up? And if not, this leads us to a conversation with God, asking him to soften our hearts. Church, let's take our next step in giving generously. Let's take our next step in giving regularly. Let's take our next step in giving cheerfully of our finances. If Jesus is our king, let's give generously to him. I won't leave you with this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. I've already hit on this, but... It's just been powerful for me as I think about kind of shifting gears. I grew up being taught, hey, you give a tithe. That's what it is. You give this 10%, and then you, know, you, you, you fulfilled your agreement. You've checked your box. You're good with God, and that's just not true. This is not how it works. And so I, I, I think back to Malachi 3.10, but this is massive promise, a blessing. It was so refreshing to be reminded of the blessing we've already been given in Jesus. And so I want to leave you with that, church as we struggle through some of these concepts on giving, as we ask God to soften our heart, let's be reminded of the ways that he's already blessed us. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Let's pray. Father God, we just give you glory. You are an amazing God. We thank you for how you've given, and I just ask, Father, that you would work in each one of our hearts. And that as we partner with you, Father, as we come alongside with you, as we soften our heart towards you and allow you to work in our lives, that you would grow our generosity, that we would give regularly, Father, with a cheerful heart. And that in doing so, we would be able to have a front row seat to the ministry of reconciliation being done. We have a front row seat to see our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors surrendering their lives to you because of the work that's being done uh, in and through each one of us in the church, in, in new churches being planted, and new ministries uh, being supported, and new missionaries being sent out, Father. Work in and through this place. Let us give beyond our means as you would bless it, Father. We trust in you for all things. We thank you for the blessings we've received from you. In your name, amen.